Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. A lot of people have trouble with bravery, but they misunderstand what bravery is about. Bravery is about confidence. It's about acceptance. It's about like accepting who you are and exactly kind of what you are without having to fluff it up any. It's about uh, permission. So giving yourself the permission. You don't want to be a jerk about anything, but you want to like give yourself the permission to show up and say, I'm totally worthy of this. So I'm just going to put my name in this hat. Uh, and it's about execution. Because a lot of times we walk around talking about how uh, capable we are, but we actually don't do anything. So we're like the sharpest pencil in a pencil box. You need to be a dull and halfway broken pencil to be worth anything on this earth. Welcome, Nice Maker, to the Nice Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. Today, I have New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and consultant, Chris Brogan. Now, Chris and I first met on Twitter in May 2007. I actually looked it up. (laughs) Uh, And then we finally met in person in October of 2007 at the podcast New Media Expo in Ontario, California. If you've been interested or involved in podcasting for a while, um, a long while, you might be familiar with uh, that conference. So at the time, we shared passions for new media, which became known as social media, microblogging, which became known as Twitter, uh, podcasting, regular blogging, writing, organizing events and unconferences, and, and building community. Today, those passions continue somewhat, but we share a deeper passion for human connection and communication, for leadership, and for a sense of belonging. This was a wonderful conversation. Chris opened up a lot about his, quote, minor case of major depression. We spoke at length about the state of social networks, about anti-intellectualism, bravery versus authenticity, leadership, and how people can do it better and how we can serve by asking the right questions and a question you should never ask. Now, I recorded this conversation in December of 2020, so naturally, we're going to reference some politics a little bit here. I'm really hoping we don't have to in the future, but naturally, that comes up. So without further ado, here's Chris Brogan. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the podcast. I'm honored that you had me on, Dave. Thank you so much. What is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, 
you had me on this show. I mean, that's a really nice thing. It, 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 people will like giggle about that if they know me any, but you know, it's, it's an amazing world where we can all feel irrelevant so fast. And so it's really nice that you had me on. Well, thank you. Yeah, no. And, and it's nice of you to join me too. I'm, I'm, I've been really looking forward to, to catching up with you and, and to chatting and um, I'm loving, by the way, I'm loving the backpack show. Uh, that you are doing with your amazing co-host, uh, Carrie Gorgon. Tell us a little bit about how, what that is, first of all, for those of those people who don't know the show and, and how it was conceived. Sure. So uh, like a lot of people at the very beginning of pandemic, all of my business is almost all entirely on the other side of an airplane and it all went away just mm-hmm. like magic. And I found myself just in my bed. Um, and so in March, uh, March 2nd, I started a show that I called uh, Point of Contact. And the reason I did that was I said, Google uh, out loud, hey, what's the opposite of isolation? And she said, contact. And I said, perfect, good enough, made a show. And that show was just me checking in. And I did things like, you know, I'm going to learn how to cook a pork roast today. There was no, it was like way old timey vlogging. Yeah. Um, and then I said, I'm going to make a show called Catch Up. And the idea was I just catch up with smart people that I love. And that went for a while. And I said, you know, I feel pretty pro about this. Like I want to make something even better. So I thought no one would give me any money if the show's called catch up. So I better name it something better. So I called it the backpack show, which also makes no sense. But uh, my next book will be called the backpack. And midway through, I said to Carrie Gorgon, who had, who had been showing up in the comments so much that we were calling her Carrie in the comments. I said, why don't you come work on the show with me? And she goes, okay, thinking I only meant backstage. And on the very first episode, I said, why don't you be a co-host? And she goes, well, uh, hang on a minute. Squeak, 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 a little lipstick. She's on. And <laughs> um, Carrie, so, so there's a few misconceptions. One is that people think that Carrie is my mechanical showrunner and that she's there to push the buttons. But the thing is, I push the buttons uh, and Carrie also can push the buttons. And we've had to come up with rules how not to touch the buttons, mm. you know, because there's some buttons for her, some buttons for me. This is how it works. But what she does is she acts as the voice of the community that we're serving and she finds the lion's share of the guests now. And so what the show has become, to answer your question in the longest way I could, the show is basically as many as two guests an episode, we're in which we look for business insights and success stories from unusual places. Mm. So we interview none of the people you and I already know for the most part. Very rarely does somebody we know go on that show. Uh, it today it was a, a Chinese documentary maker, uh, Mei Cho, uh, Mei Chow, sorry, and uh, Leslie Ford, who is a woman who uh, is a self care expert and who has an incredible uh, project called Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. Mm. But we've done Sir Mix a lot, uh, Baby's Got Back. We've done um, the world beatboxing champion Butterscotch, um, two Mexican comedy horror actors, uh, a nun. Uh, professional dominatrix, an adult film star, uh, all kinds of perspectives that are not someone we normally interview, rock stars, comedians. Um, And so why did I make that show? Is one, I just was sick of talking to my marketing friends. And two, um, I just wanted to get more voices that just aren't seen enough or seen in this context. And that's why I made a show. I love it. And and I, and I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I, I dip in there from time to time and, uh, yeah, it's always interesting the people you're talking to for sure because it, it is unusual, you know, different people as, as, aside from you know outside of our our little circle as well. So and uh, and cool that Carrie's doing it too. Carrie also living in Nashville uh, right now, so she relocated here a while back, 
And we have had like a Delaney Gorgone family uh, dinner one night at our favorite Irish pub, of course. Back nice. Or all this craziness. So, uh, yeah, no, very cool. Very cool. Um, and who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career? In my career, I've been so blessed. I, I've been so blessed. I've had so many good people. Uh, Dave Johnson was one of my uh, early big mentor managers when I worked at 9X, which was, you know, Ma Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, he was, a, he was a great boss because at that point I was the kid. And so he was helping take my sort of unabashed raw enthusiasm and channel it a little better because, yeah. you know, when you're the young bull running down the hill, you want to attack everything. And he sort of told me to be a little more calm and, you know, go after a few specific targets. I had a great boss, Debbie Millen, and she taught me endlessly. She, she was a great project manager and also just taught me about like how to run the best meeting ever. Debbie mm-hmm. said, chop, chop a million times in a meeting when she just, she just interrupt people, like stop talking, chop, chop, let's chop, get chop. on to the next part. That's amazing. And she was great. Uh, I've, I've been very blessed. My parents are super nice. And, and I, I want to say that because it's not a guarantee that you have great parents, but I had the most encouraging parents in the world. They're, they're, they come to my backpack show every day, even though it's 7am their time. And uh, it's a little weird to have your mom and your dad watching you every single day when you interview adult film stars, for instance, but mm-hmm. they get it because it's all about, you know, business advice. It's about business success and uh, they're not judgmental. And it's this exciting experience. So Dave, I've, I've been loaded down with incredibly nice people in my world. Yeah. And your parents are awesome. And I've uh, had the good fortune of having dinner with them and, and uh, doing that selfie <laughs> that your dad reminds me of uh, often. Um, and your dad might have the coolest beard. Yeah. It, which is a weird thing to say, but it's totally true. My dad, you know, has this very Santa Claus like beard and it is, it's pretty majestic. Yes, yes, yes. What is your dad? So your dad, your parents moved to Vegas. I remember yeah. this and partly I'm sure to retire with the weather and things, but, but then your dad took, I, I believe it was after that move took on, was it blackjack? My dad. Uh, okay. So yeah, my parents went there because my mom is allergic to about anything you can breathe. Right. And one kind of cool thing about deserts is that nothing grows. And so you don't have to, you don't have mold, you don't have pollen, you don't have anything. You just basically in, engineer your environment. So that's mm. cool. Um, my dad, for the few years right before they moved, had had uh, he had technically retired from computer stuff and had become a poker dealer in New Hampshire. Now, there's only two places in New Hampshire you could be a licensed poker dealer, and he was at one of those two places and sometimes went over to the other place too. Uh, So he said, hey, maybe Vegas, uh, because it was great for that. Plus, at the time, I mean, I was traveling so much that Vegas was an optimal place for them to be as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Joke's on them. I haven't traveled as much in the last bunch of years, but yeah. Uh, so my dad ended up working and he, he wanted to maybe go and be a poker dealer at the big places like the Bellagio and those kind of high stakes places. But instead he fell in with the Nevada poker league, which is the locals kind of games. And it's the kind that's played way off the strip and way far away from, you know, where tourism happens. Yeah. And he liked it so much more just because it wasn't the, it wasn't crazy people with a few hundred extra or a few thousand extra bucks just to blow. It was people who took the game seriously and, he and my mom went and just really built a community around that. They haven't played a lot lately, obviously for pandemic reasons, yeah. but it's uh, it's still a community that keeps on giving. There's a lot of people who for them, it's just the same as, you know, getting together for a dinner. It's except the dinner also has entertainment. Tell me a little bit about how you're, cause I mean, like you, a big 
part of my business was uh, speaking and, and, and traveling and doing workshops and things with, with clients. Uh, and obviously that has been all kind of stopped. Um, how are you handling uh, not traveling? <laughs> like a lot of our friends, I lost 90 plus percent of my revenue instantly. Mm. Instantly, everything I do to pay a mortgage and all my other expenses was gone. So I had to go, oh, well, I better try some things. And just like everyone else, I faltered a lot and stumbled a lot. And probably unlike everyone else, I'm still, I'm a slow changer. So uh, for someone who talks about the future a lot, um, I'm not really fast to kind of settle into anything. Mm. Um, and so it hasn't been a great thing, but, but, but what's one thing that's different. So, uh, I deal with uh, clinical depression. I do deal with, uh, what my uh, shrink liked to say was a very minor case of major clinical depression. Mm. So, uh, some people have it way worse than me. I just have it a teeny tiny bit worse. Almost three years, this last three years, I have been driving around with the parking brake on. I've been just dealing with depression at every turn, mostly unaware of just how bad it was. But, you know, of course, your business suffers when that happens. So here's what happened. Just as just before the quarantine starts, just before the world absolutely clearly has to shut down in March, I think to myself in this very brief and fleeting moment, huh, I think I finally feel better. And then the world slams me in the face and says, no, you don't. And I said, right. this is weird, but I do. So I think that it's almost like um, with certain people, if they have attention deficit disorder, one of the sort of ways you could self-medicate is with a lot of caffeine. Mm -hmm. So you would think that putting caffeine into someone who's already jazzy is a bad plan, but it counters it. So I think that all what I have learned for years of dealing with depression has been magic during this pandemic. I feel more calm than I have felt in more than a decade. That's amazing. So what do I do with that? Yeah. What I did with it is I said, I am free right now because everything has failed. I can do anything right now. I don't mm -hmm. have any particular obligation to any entity, nor is anyone looking for me right now. Because guess what? All my friends who sell something similar to what I sell are out there like hamster wheeling, trying to get their things sold. So no one's eager for my version of it. No one's like, oh man, remember Chris Brogan? So I got to do anything. Now that is scary as heck for a lot of human beings. But what I did with it is I just said, well, I'm just going to do what I really want to do. And so far that has been run a video show that I love. And that has been helping uh, executives uh, with a digital executive presence. So executive presence has existed for a long time. How does a boss act more like a boss? What do they do for leadership work? Well, now everyone's having to be a boss at a distance. What does that look like? Hmm. So I'm out selling some coaching around that, some, some training around that, some workshops because sales and marketing teams are at a distance. Now what? You know, everything right. what we used to do, people who sell pharmaceuticals, uh, we're used to taking everyone to lunch. That doesn't happen anymore. So I have that going and I have my uber creative experience of just doing the backpack show, which is just like five days a week. Uh, as many as two guests every single day, always some new crazy perspective on the world. Yeah. I couldn't be any happier. I could be a lot richer, but I couldn't be any happier. Yeah. And I think obviously happiness is is key, right? If you have to choose one or over the other, um, that's a big one. And I, I, you know, and I know you've been very public about, uh, about depression and, <laughs> and your experiences with depression. Um, I've never been diagnosed with depression. But then again, I have 
just five. So I just started seeing a therapist. Oh, cool. Um, again, after many, many years and saw her twice, realized she's not the one for me. So fired her in the nicest possible way. I basically sure. just didn't respond. Uh, and, but I am working on, I have another appointment set up for, to meet with another therapist. So I'm hoping he's the guy, uh, that I've been looking for. Um, and I've been dealing with, um, I wouldn't say necessarily, well, depression's a tough one, right? Like, and, and self, you know, and, uh, analyzing myself doesn't really help. I don't think, right. But as far as being anxious, uh, as far as being lonely, um, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm quite extroverted and I love being around people. Um, that's part of the reason why when I realized speaking and being on stage and, and then being able to, to mix with folks afterwards or at these networking events that I've organized over the years and things, or at the many conferences that, you know, we've mutually attended, um, I miss people and I miss sure. that in-person, uh, experience, you know, the, the experience of actually like, like seeing each other in person. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like I think the last time we saw each other, God, I hate to say it, but I think it was 2015. Could be. Well, I don't know. Like, I Impact, was, whenever, I'm uh, sorry, uh, inbound. inbound. Yeah. Whenever yeah. that was. Um, and you helped me with my suit. My suit <laughs> jacket was still stitched. <laughs> well, because someone showed me that trick. I didn't know. I didn't know either. And you're like, oh, come here. I got to fix this for you. Like in the best possible way, of course. And uh, <laughs> and you did the little snip snip. I, if Had we been on a virtual conference together, how would you have virtually snipped my, my suit jacket? It is absolutely. Well, let me, let me go back a few sentences to your depression thing. So yeah. um, there's been a lot of interesting write-ups in the world right now saying that, that at this point, almost everyone can qualify as having that sense of post-traumatic stress disorder sure. because there's been fairly nationwide and planetary trauma going on. Right. You know, it's undeniable. That's not like, you know, uh, suck it up buttercup stuff. It's like, you know, big world events that really aren't easy for a lot of people to deal with. Right. Um, I, f I always forget to tell people that with every real case of depression for absolutely free, you get anxiety just mm -hmm. built in. You just get to have anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Um, I went to the hospital three different occasions mm. uh, before they started saying, stop showing up. Like it, you're not having a heart attack you idiot. It's still an anxiety attack. Stop mm. coming, which, you know, they say in the nicest way, but they basically like, don't clog my emergency room with your stupid fake heart attack, mm. you know, smoke pot or something. Was, you know, that's kind of what their brain is. That's what they want to say to me. Right. So, um, and I never was a smoker, so I can't do that anyway, but uh, edibles, thank, thank the baby. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh... yeah, you know, you can eat a gummy and you could be much better. And I'll tell you that, you know, Massachusetts, uh, you, it's, it's not that difficult to get a medical card plus recreational. Mm. Um, and I will say that if I eat a gummy on a day where I'm feeling massive amounts of anxiety, uh, I can function like an absolutely normal human being, uh, in places that I would otherwise have laid down for most of the day. I wish I could do that here uh, in Tennessee, but sadly, uh, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah. Well, and, and so um, one challenge, so, so clinical depression is different than sort of the state of depression. Clinical depression is just a big chemical thing. So people will tell me all these things about how to, how to cheer up. And I'm like, that's awesome. I was just telling my dad who has diabetes that if he just thinks better thoughts, um, he can eat whatever he feels like. Right. And I'm like, it's a chemical thing for me. Like I, you know, the world is great or it's not, I don't know, but my chemicals are saying, you know, it'd be even better is sleeping until you're dead. That'd mm -hmm. be great. 
And so I often need uh, uh, prescribed chemicals to make that better. And that world is changing and not to make the whole show about that, but just, you know, why do I keep coming out? You said, you know, you keep coming out in public and talking about it. Why I do is that because people feel like they uh, are ashamed of it. They feel like they're not supposed to talk about it. They also feel like no one else feels those things. They also feel like they're, you know, they're the weak link and that they're totally alone. And you, you said it, you're an extrovert. You love being around people. This blows. I'm an introvert. This is the best. Mm-hmm. Like, God, quarantine is so cool. I don't even have to come up with fake excuses why I'm not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. I just hang out of my house because I'm saving the planet, baby. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I miss it too. I miss contact. Human physical contact is something our bodies crave the same way we do vitamin D from the sun, the same yeah. we do a lot of the uh, minerals we want. It's not, you know, it, it's a chemical bond. And so I just keep wanting to say that because if you want to be nice, you have to take so much good care of yourself. You have to do so much self-care because nice starts between your ears. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a great, great line. Uh, and that's, that's such an important point because, and that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit too, because yeah, I mean, it being nice, it, like it really begins with being nice to yourself first and foremost. And, you know, if you're not nice to yourself, then you're going to have a hell of a time being nice to your team members or your colleagues or your, your friends, your family. Um, so it, it's important to be able to recognize this and, and, uh, and, and to be honest, like in my, in my nice maker newsletter, that's why I have the footer with suicide prevention. I mean, right. it's, it's so, it's such a, such a, obviously a serious thing. And I think, I don't know statistically, but I would imagine, you know, based on what we were just talking about with, with people being sort of, you know, shut in now, um, that that can't, that can't be affecting things uh, in a positive way. So. Yeah. So it's, I mean, uh, a veteran uh, commits suicide every 22 seconds. That's the veteran community only, Mm. you know, uh, I just shared a suicide prevention specifically for trans people yesterday uh, because there's a much higher suicide rate amongst trans people. Mm. It's a lot harder. Like you think being gay is tricky Uh, being certain you're absolutely in the wrong body and all the work that goes into that. That's not so easy either. Uh, and you know, these are just a couple of really specific communities, but you know, (laughs) there's people who are neuronormative, uh, absolutely middle of the road, quote unquote, regular guy humans that are folding in a way that they never were before. And then some of the strongest people in the world right now are saying pretty much at the end of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have to survive, you know, and we have to make our way through and, and, I think that one of the things that we need is that sense of a release valve that says you can absolutely feel these things and you can share with someone, I am feeling this right now so much. Uh, and now I'm going to be okay. Cause now you and I are both talking about it. We're good. One thing that anyone can do, especially who's paying attention to you, Dave, and, and you have the greatest people around you. You've ca- you've gathered and serve a great community. One thing we can always do is take the first step and just reach out to people and just say, howdy, what's going on? How are you? Say something nice to them. It's yeah. not that hard. You can, you, you compliments are so free and so easy. Every now and again, I'll just message somebody that I'm friends with through something like Twitter. And I'll just say, I think you're so attractive. Mm. And they'll, they'll usually laugh about it. And then they'll be like, what made you think that? And I said, I was just thinking about you. And I was like, man, if I looked like that, my life would be so much better. And of course you feel good about that. Or, wow, I think you're so smart. I think, you know, you maybe feel this, maybe you don't. 
I know that I'm not very smart and I get put into a lot of circumstances where people like to revere me as smart. So um, I'm forever trying to compliment the people I think are wizards because I just learn from them and then say it back in a different way. And everyone thinks it's my own ideas. So I'm just a big parrot walking around telling people things. But it bothers me that you are so self-deprecating in that sense. Uh, and I mean that in a, in a totally positive way, of course, but, but, you know, for years you've said, you know, I remember like early on, you used to call yourself a typist. A typist. Yep. Yeah. And, but you have written like, how many books have you written now? Nine it's books. I'm on nine. my 10th. Yeah. And, and New York times bestsellers. Sure. Um, this one, uh, trust hmm. agents, of course, which we talked about book. a bit. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you are an expert and, and you, and in the best possible way, and you are like legit, um, and you are authentic and, and we could talk actually a little bit about that because I, uh, but I, I do find that like, cause I'm sort of guilty of this in the same way where I kind of, maybe it's the Canadian in me mm -hmm. uh, of sort of putting myself down or, or selling myself short. And, and I, and I, I struggle with this, uh, this challenge of, of remaining humble, not being a douchebag basically, but yeah. at the same time being brave enough, which is gets to your authenticity, bravery blog post you wrote a while back. Um, but being brave enough to say, no, hell, like I serve, like I have to be able to sell myself as an expert in order to sell myself in order to serve people and, and make a living doing it. Uh, what are your I thoughts so many, with that? I, I want to springboard in so many different ways. So first yeah, do off, it. Do it. here's two Canadian jokes. Ready? Um, how do you get 50 drunk Canadians out of a pool? Oh, that's happened to me so you, many times. You say, no, excuse on. me, could you guys get out of the pool? <laughs> and they, they get out. Um, ready? Knock, knock. Who's there? Sorry. That's it. That's the whole joke. Um, <laughs> that's Canadians. So um, nice. Nice. that's one. Number two is I wrote this book called It's Not About the Tights, an Owner's Manual of Bravery, yes. um, because a lot of people have trouble with bravery, but they misunderstand what bravery is about. Uh, bravery is about confidence. Uh, it's about acceptance. It's about like accepting who you are and exactly kind of what you are uh, without having to fluff it up any. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about, it's about uh, permission. So giving yourself the permission, like you were saying, you know, you want to, you don't want to be a jerk about anything, but you want to like give yourself the permission to show up and say, I'm totally worthy of this. So I'm just going to put my name in this hat. Yeah. Uh, and it's about execution because a lot of times we walk around talking about how uh, capable we are, but we actually don't do anything. So we're like the sharpest pencil in a pencil box. Right. You know, you need to be a dull and halfway broken pencil to be worth anything on this earth. Mm. Um, for people who are of a certain age, pencils were these things we used, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to sort of do t what we might consider temporary writing. Um, so I, so one word I loathe is authenticity or authentic. And, and it's, it's a personal flaw because what I think is a lot of people try to engineer that. Mm. Like, how do I act authentic? Which is, it's, it's like saying planning for improv. Like, let's plan some improv, right? right? Now, you, we could fight on this because you could say there are things you could do to plan improv and you'd no, you be absolutely improv. right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, that spontaneity comes with thousands of hours of execution, right? That the, the real magic that can happen in improv isn't in having 75 tricks ready. It's mm -hmm. always in catching a, a lightning piece in a moment and going, wait, that's the thread. That wasn't supposed to be the third. We're going there. That's that feeling people love. And I know you're such a student of improv. It's yeah. like me telling the Beatles about music. So I'll <laughs> shut up. But it's, it's, 
Um, but what people are saying when they're saying, especially if they're complimenting me and saying you're so authentic, is they're saying you seem so comfortable talking about your flaws and your strengths. Mm. Um, and we're so unused to, well, we're used to two totally different things. We're used to people bragging and then not liking that person. Or we're used to people putting themselves down so much and so hard that that noise is louder than the value that the person offers, mm. you know, and that's, that's just as not helpful. You know, it, it, bragging is not especially helpful. Like you're like, man, I wish I knew someone smarter than me that could fix this is not a bad sentence. But if someone shows up and goes, I'm smarter than you, um, you hate them. Yeah. And if you get the other person who shows up and goes, oh man, I don't, I don't know anything, you know, that's hard too. But what people see, what people pay me for or why they pay me versus some other people is because I seem like a nice guy. So that's why I'm on the nice podcast. And I seem like if he could figure it out, we should be able to do this. And that magic trick of making people reasonably certain that they're smarter than me mm. uh, is a comfort for so many people. Because like, if you go to uh, Serena Williams and you go, can you give me a few tips on my, my tennis? No, she's not. Like she, whatever she says, it's not going to help you. Right. You're not that good. But if you go to like, you know, your idiot friend who's not bad at tennis, they're going to like say, I've got just two things you could focus on this whole next game and you're going to feel better by the end of it. Oh, we're going to feel like gods, aren't we, Dave? So yes. that's the, that's the deal. I'm, I'm an elite level writer who writes the silliest, dumbest things as often as I can so that people can go, Oh, I totally can relate to this guy. Mm. what do we want more than anything? We want to feel really connected. And that's, I think humankind's greatest need is the need to feel wanted or useful. Use that word interchangeably wanted and useful. Mm. That's all I strive to do is be of service. If I die, even today, all I want people to say at my funeral over and over again is, man, that guy was so helpful. I like that guy. Yeah. And I like that. How are some ways, or what are some ways that, um, that people can find ways to be helpful to their communities. One interesting thing that never helps is when you run around saying, how can I help? Mm -hmm. um, you yeah. would think that's really helpful. It is amazing how unhelpful it is. I've never once had an answer to that question. If you DM me on Twitter right now and say, Hey, how can I help you? I'd be like, I don't know. Give me a bag of money. Yeah. Uh, that would definitely help me. Cause boy, I've got the happiness down. I just need the revenue. Right. Um, but what you can do is you can, um, it was in a book called It's Your Ship, who I think is by Captain Michael Abershoff. Uh, there's, there's a level of leadership that stops at sort of intentionality. It's my intention to do this. What's your opinion, right? So mm -hmm. that level. So there's kind of like somebody dictating all your things to you. There's someone kind of guiding you through a process. Then there's you kind of leading, but really checking in the whole way. And then when you get to the part where he thinks is kind of the optimal, is uh, it's my intention to do this. Is this useful? So if I knew Dave, that you were out looking for gigs, I would be like, I just had a conversation with someone and it's not the right gig for me. It's my intention to make this introduction because yeah. I think you'd be flawless at it. Would that, in, would that be useful? I've put something on you that you can look at and, and, and kind of evaluate and then I can execute on it. That's helpful. Right. So I think the easiest way to be helpful is to, is to bring something to the picnic. And if it's the wrong thing, it's already one step better than just saying, what can I do? Like if, if someone says, I'm having a picnic and you said, great, you want coleslaw? They're like, we have eight different coleslaws. You're all good. Do you maybe, how about some paper cups? We really need some cups, right? Mm -hmm. That's how it works. It's, it's, I always call it the let's get Thai food. 
um, hey, what should we get for lunch? That's like 20% of every business is what's for lunch. Yeah. So if you say, what should we get for lunch? You're going to get a bunch of weird, stupid answers back. So I would say, hey, how about some Thai food? Because guess yeah. what people are going to say? I don't like Thai food. Or I just had it yesterday. And then we're going to get down to like that cool Viking place down by the highway. This really interesting too, because it ties back to your point about bravery and about uh, not to use the A word authenticity, but, but in the sense of bravery of being and, and your depression and, and your business and so forth of being vocal about whatever challenges you're facing, because, and especially in our circle of, of, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, you know, successful people. Um, I wrote a blog post a while back called the biggest business lie. And the biggest business lie, in my opinion, is when you ask somebody, you know, uh, you know, how's things, you know, how's business going? Oh, it's great. Never better. And they're full of shit, right? They're just, they're saying it because they want to save face. They want to look like everything's fine. And then you're like, but, but what happens to the, to your point is I leave and I think, okay, well, either he's, he's lying or he's not, but I guess business is going well where, right. where she could say, you know, well, you know what? I'm actually, I had to let go. Uh, I had to let an employee go who worked in HR and I'm really trying to find a new HR person that's when I could act. And, and, and to your, to your other point about finding ways to help people because she was honest with me and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and brave enough to share that, that now I know, okay, this is the challenge she's facing. So now I can look through my, my Rolodex and find someone that I can introduce her to. It, it's that's everything right there. Like if we deleted the whole rest of the interview and just started right here, this is yeah. it because <laughs> which I feel like sometimes, but I, I think that, you know, so one of the intersecting weird worlds that I should have no foot in uh, is I, I talked with a lot of special operations type people. Mm. And it came because I interviewed, uh, I, I read a lot of those books. So I read books like by snipers or by the people who were part of the bin Laden raid and all those kinds of people because they're high performers. And I have some kind of a, a mental affinity to the idea of learning from these high performers who work in small units, strategy and tactics. So when I interviewed the first of these people, uh, word must have got around that he seems like not a bad guy. And so I interviewed a lot of these people. So a bunch of SEALs, a bunch of Green Berets, uh, a couple other the forces, uh, Marine Force Recon. Uh, and I, I say all this to say that in those high stress, high pressure, small, I mean, these are like the people who took down bin Laden people, what they can't afford ever is, is a facade. They can never have a front. They can never be like, I don't have any bullets, but I'm going to say good to go. They can never say, you know, I'm wounded, but so is everybody. So I'm just going to say, I'm fine. Mm. You have to call it out. You know, I've taken a bunch of shots. I think I'm still functional. My left leg's a little weird. You have to call it out. If you don't, everything goes bad. Um, if you read the book, Lone Survivor uh, by Marcus Luttrell, it, it's pretty intense. But if you watch the movie, of course, they, they amp it a little bit. But if you watch the movie, like, I mean, only one person survives. That's why the book's called Lone Survivor. So I've just spoiled it. But uh, you watch a lot of people go through something really traumatic. And, and what, I, what I'm drawn to in that experience has nothing to do with the guns and the war and the whatever, and definitely nothing to do with uh, political or uh, statements about military, but everything to do with there's a small team of four people who are in a really bad situation. Mm. And how are they going to do their very best to support each other and the mission? And, and, and that's, I think the thing to model, right? You know, what's nice is being able, like you said, the person, how's business? 
I like my business. I think there's some things I need to change dramatically or I'm going to have some problems right now. That's a great sentence. Oh, that's cool. What's on the plate? Like, is there any resource I have? Is there anything I know how to do? What can I offer you? Is so much better, Dave, because it's like, it's, it's like putting a new shirt over a wound. You know, if you, if you don't, if you don't call it out, you, and if you don't say I'm, I'm, I'm functional and I'm on station or I've got to get away from this for a minute, then you're going to be the problem. You are the reason that something doesn't work if you don't communicate. Yeah. And that's a big part of this podcast. And, and, you know, and a lot of what I'm, I'm doing these days is focusing on communication and collaboration. So that's exactly what you were just talking about. I mean, I mean, it takes, it, it, it takes a true leader to be able to communicate and collaborate and to encourage her team to communicate and collaborate with one another too. So if she's running a military operation, for example, then making sure that everybody is on the same page, but everybody is empowered enough to be able to communicate clearly uh, and collaborate and collaborate that way. So, yeah, no, it's, absolutely. It's, so trust agents. Um, I have the, uh, the old version, the first version, which you uh, nicely wrote. To Dave, you've been a true trust agent forever. I'm glad we know each other. You're someone I look up to. Thanks for the honor of signing your book, which still, I love that. That's really nice. And and just goes to show. And that, and that was, I guess, 2009, right? Was that it? Uh, that was 2009, August, 2009. Yeah. So you, you, you and Julian have uh, 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 updated the book. And this was a New York Times bestseller book. It's it's definitely just a, a fantastic book, and I know it's on the desk or the bookshelves of of so many people who work in sort of this digital marketing uh, space and beyond. But I mean, really, our I think we kind of cut our teeth in sort of this social media sort of world or new media world, as it was known back then. Um, tell me a little bit about the new, the updated version of Trust Agents, and a little bit about the book if people haven't read it yet. So the book came out August, 2009. So August, 2019, I thought a random fleeting thought and tweeted it to Julian and to Wiley, the publishers and all that. I said, Hey, wow. I just realized it's going to be the 10th anniversary of trust agents. We should totally update it. Hmm. Now there's two reasons I thought that one is that I hadn't published a new mainstream book since 2015. And I was in a bit of a lag and I thought, well, updating a book is way easier than writing a new one. I'll just update my first big book and that'll be fun. Hmm. Uh, too, I thought maybe it'll give a new spark and maybe new people will come to this book that is, they feel is old because it's got a 10-year-old tag on it. If I shine it up and make it ready for, it got released in 2020 by the time we finished our edits, right. um, maybe people will love it. It was such a dumb idea. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? It's a, it's a swell book full of stuff that made perfect sense in 09. It felt like it was written the day you bought it. Mm-hmm. So then Julian and I had to go in there like, like a dental hygienist after you ate a box of Oreos. We had to go in and like scrape out every 2009 reference. We were talking about getting on the front page of Dig. Yeah. We were talking about like Plurk and Pounce and Jaiku and all these apps that no one on this podcast even wants to hear me say, but that we all lived through. And we had to replace a few people's names. Uh, And and every single turn in in the road, we had to keep saying, you know, he was a trust agent in 09 or she was really great in 09 at that company where she's not at and hasn't been for 14 years. Right. So what an idiot like to redo this book. And, um, and yet we did it. And then Julian and I just redid the audio book for it as well, which was uh, insult to injury because then you get, (laughs) then you get to say it out loud and realize, even though you thought you just edited this book, you still made mistakes. 
and I'll tell you, there's a few ad libs in the audio that won't exist in the book, obviously, yes. where I said, this is Chris. I'm recording this in 2020. That sentence didn't like that was stupid and it didn't work out. Right. And I left it in and I just got back my uh, edits from the publisher and they didn't catch or say anything bad about any of that. Now, whether or not they delete it and didn't tell me, I don't know. Right. But I feel like there's secrets in the audiobook now. And I'm not saying that to be a marketer, but I am. But I um, I can tell you that it's kind of like when you get these newer audiobooks where someone kind of adds a few humorous asides. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Exactly. And that's yeah. what I wanted. Some Easter eggs. Yes. And and so does so I assume Julian reads his bits and Julian reads his. Or, I which remember I had to fight for, by the way, because they were just gonna make me do it all. I said, What are you jerks? He well, you can read both this read twice. It, you could both read it at the same time. Right. <laughs> just in harmony. In stereo, yeah. Yeah. That'd be odd. Um yeah, that's interesting. Cause I remember first reading the book, actually, now that we mentioned this, uh, because I forgot about it, but but knowing Julian quite well as well. I remember reading it thinking like, okay, is this Chris's written section or is this Julian? And every once in a while, like, you know, one of you would give, give it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, not like I, I would just figure it out. Oh, this is totally Chris. Uh, so, but, but so updating trust agents, I think like nowadays some stuff has changed. Yes. <laughs> Turns beyond, out beyond like, you know, dig and, and Jaiku. And, you know, I, I was flipping through this again today before our call and, and I, you know, you know, read Google reader and I'm like, Oh, mm, RIP. I'll miss it so much. Um, but tell me about social media, you know, uh, social networking specifically like Twitter or fa Facebook or MySpace or you know, friends or whatever. What drew you to that in the first place? So this is the thing. Uh, and what a great question just to, to let me be really stupidly introspective, but it's, it's useful to think about yeah. when we wrote this in 09, we were like, guys, 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 this is something crazy. Like you can use this tool to do things you cannot do right now in almost any other medium. Right. Like, you know, email, like no one's going to read your email, this, 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 you could tweet someone and they're going to answer you. It's like ridiculous. And Frank Eliason from Comcast cares. He changed the perspective of a reasonably disliked entity mm -hmm. just by how quality his customer service was on Twitter. And he was yeah. doing this by himself for like a few ulcers worth of time. Mm -hmm. Um, we never could have predicted things like a president who uses it like a weapon in the U.S. Uh, world. We never could have predicted uh, that every single news show, watch any news show, and even if you delete the president's uh, use of it, uh, watch any sports show, you will see tweet after tweet after tweet as if all we're doing is sitting around reading tweets like we don't all have Twitter. Like we don't all, like you don't need a person behind a desk in a nice suit to go, oh, well, did you see what LeBron James tweeted? Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, we did. Like four days ago we did, right? <laughs> yeah, right? We never would have predicted any of that. So that's there. Uh, fake news. We had to write a whole section about fake news, which didn't exist. You know, I mean, I'm sure it did, but like it wasn't a, a tool. It wasn't a, a widespread function. And so we had to write about that. We had to write about what does trust mean in that environment? And it, it was the introspection that goes into this. I mean, there were several times where Julian would text me or I would text him as we're rewriting this again. And I said, oh my gosh, could we, we couldn't have even begun to think this is how it would be used. Yeah. And, and I just think when you say, you know, what's, the, what's going on with social networks, what's interesting about what's going on with social networks right now 
is the homogenization, the, the sense of uh, we are really tribalizing in ways that are absolutely devastatingly not useful, but also kind of what we need for our own defense. We have to block all these people who want to come and wage war with our side of a perspective, no matter which side it is. And we have to block uh, all kinds of people who are suddenly feeling very emboldened to say things that maybe uh, we wouldn't have expected to hear. Mm. And, and so I think there's this whole new usage that's just different than what it was. And when people try to ask me things like, well, what do you think of TikTok? I don't care. Uh, right. But what I do care about is how do we use these various media? How do we use them to communicate with the people we most want to serve? And that's changed. And I, and I think that there continues to be opportunity. Uh, Twitter is still my second favorite social network after email. Email is my favorite social network. Um, even though Twitter doesn't yield what it vaguely used to yield. With over right. 333,000 followers, if I tweet something, I might get seven responses. 333,000. I mean, that's a massive population. Mm -hmm. And I still only get like seven replies. Yeah. So that tells you how that is. And it's not, you know, it's not that I'm not relevant. It's just that the world is going by so fast and we're all just kind of eating our snack and going somewhere else. So I don't know what to do with that, except to say that we really have to earn the right to sell and serve. And there's new tools for that. That's kind of why I made a pivot towards more video, because I just think that if you're going to commit to spending some time on video, it's less fleeting, uh, pun intended, than Twitter. <laughs> a little Twitter joke there. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and yeah, there, you, you said a lot there. And, and sorry. I, no, I love it. And that's why you're here, right? Otherwise, it'd be just me talking to myself. Nobody wants to hear that. Um but yeah, no, I, I struggle with, with social these days and I, I have become sort of disillusioned um, by the state of things and the way that these social networks have been weaponized. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Tristan Harris's work um, with the Center for Humane Tech. Uh, he did his Netflix documentary or their not Netflix documentary about sort of the, about social media, but like, I mean, my, my interest in all this stuff goes way back to, to reading uh, Manufacturing Consent, the Noam Chomsky book, back when I was like in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. And, and being into punk rock and sort of questioning a lot. Uh, I've always, and you know, still am, but I, but I've always questioned things. And I think we're at this point now, where people have for most, for the most part, stopped questioning the information they're getting. I think, you know, I've become quite interested in, in psychology and how it applies to this stuff as well. So, you know, there's, there's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Where we invest so much of whatever, something mm -hmm. resourceful, whether it's money or, or time or attention, we invest something into a, a, something like a relationship. Right. And, and then realize we're, we're in, over our heads, but we stay in it. Um, there's a really great uh, documentary on Netflix called Behind the Curve about flat earthers. And w the underlying sort of message of that film and, and, and through the doc, have you seen this? I have not seen okay. it. It's a good documentary. Um, but throughout it, they, they tend to uh, uh, prove or disprove their theory that the world is flat. And they disprove it through these experiments, some of them quite costly money-wise to, to do, but they keep 
going forward anyway. And and and, and in a way, I, I look at it like religion in some ways too, where you are so invested in something that it's 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 hard for you to pull out. And especially when it applies to the community you have. So suddenly, and I, I look at like, a, like, you know, God forbid I bring up Trump, but, but you look at sort of the Trump fan base in the, in this theory, in this, in this thinking, they have found religion. They're all together on this. And if you're within a smaller community, um, and these are your people for you to question things and think, man, maybe I was wrong. You're just, you're too invested in it. So I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but what are your thoughts on all of this stuff? I'm with you. I, I was following the ramble quite well. It's, <laughs> it's um, I, because I think about it all the time. That is, that is one of my, it's kind of the nature of the underlying parts of my business. My job is to help people connect with the people they want to sell and serve. Yeah. So how do I reach people who are outside of those spheres or how do I earn new people into my sphere? Uh, there's a few things at, at heart. And I, and I try to say this to people as often and as many ways as I can, because it's really hard sometimes for people to hear and understand. Uh, and, and, and they're just wasting, you know, there's like a light and there's heat. And we want heat. We don't want light. But a lot of times we get a lot more light than heat. Signal to noise is another way we talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we getting good signal or are we getting just a lot of noise? Uh, anti-intellectualism is one big challenge. So one big challenge is that in an unprecedented in several hundreds, maybe thousands of years, people are fighting back against science as if science is the enemy. But I'll tell you what I really perceive to be the enemy. And it's different. The enemy is that people are feeling so spoken down to people are feeling this sort of rural versus, well, you know, the term coastal elite is is passed around a lot. And what they mean is sort of New York, um, Los Angeles, San Francisco. And those are the loudest voices in media, right? LA, San Francisco, New York are the loudest voices in media. Chicago, of course, in the middle of the country, you know, now I'm doing just geography, but if you are someone in South Dakota, you feel made fun of and put down and teased because you have a, you have a different set of needs or a different set of wants or a different perspective. You don't have DoorDash because it could be 85 miles between the only place around that makes food for your community. And you're like, why is anyone complaining about Uber drivers? What's an Uber driver, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, one of the guys that's part of my, uh, my little private business group uh, makes hay and sells hay for a living. And I, I, all the time, just tell him, I don't even know why you're here because I don't know what I'm going to do to make you better at selling hay. And his his buyers are Amish, so they don't like read blogs, like literally for real. Like I'm not making fun of anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He literally sells to guys who don't have electricity. So um, I, I get his perspective a lot in these things because I get to find what does that feel like? My personal experience, I went to Birmingham, Alabama, and I spoke on behalf of Alabama Power. And my other speaking friends, Ike. <laughs> uh, were a lot of, yeah, well, Ike and, and uh, Jamie Sanford, um, yeah. uh, the other speakers who were roped into this event were big name media people uh, whose names you would easily uh, recognize. And they had this weird kind of panel debate. And I looked at the audience. The audience is a hundred of, of Alabama Power's best customers. So this is like uh, people who own uh, manufacturing plants, real solid core of America businesses. And they were watching these people like, I don't know what these people are saying. And it wasn't because they're not smart. These people run Toyota of Birmingham and whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Like big plants, yeah. you know, because a lot of cars are made in the U S and these factories and stuff. 
And what they were saying to me without saying those words out loud, because very polite, they were saying, you're not speaking for us right now. You're saying weird stuff that like makes a lot more sense in LA and New York. And I, I think about that all the time, Dave. I think that that's what's going on as well as this quote unquote anti-intellectualism. No one wants to be spoken down to. Yes. No one wants to feel like they don't have a seat at the table. No one wants to feel disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And this is a really weird time in this country where people who are like pushing back saying they want good old fashioned American values are sort of accidentally signaling. We want the hierarchy and the patriarchy and the racism that we grew up on to be in place because we were benefiting from that system. And now we're not sure what we're going to get next. And even having that conversation is so politically charged that, you know, someone just started off your podcast right now because I said that, sorry, <laughs> but, but that's what we're fighting. And, and, and no matter what side of any of these arguments you want to be on, if you don't find common ground first, if you don't say, can we all agree this? Because sometimes you can't agree on anything, you know, can we all agree that lunch is delicious? You know, if you can't get to that, then where are we going to go? So I think that, I think that tribalism is on the rise in a way that it hasn't been in so long in this country, in the United States, where we all keep trying to pretend we're all one thing. And I think at the same time, there's a beauty in that, in that people who felt so unheard now can just say, I'm out here. Are you out here? I'm out here. And now we can really kind of gather around what, whatever flag we need to fly. Yeah, it's interesting. And there's, yeah, there's a lot there. And I, I do want to be respectful of your time. So, uh, you know, are you, are you good on time or I'm good, buddy. Okay. Um, I mean, I could, I could talk with you for hours and we'll definitely do, we'll definitely do an, another episode in the future, um, in the near future. Cause I, I would love to, to keep this going. Um, I do want to ask you about, um, where, and, and it, it ties into some of what we were just talking about, because, you know, part of it is that when I first started using Twitter in 07, mm -hmm. I was living in a small town, small city, um, not in Nashville, but like in Jackson, Tennessee is where I was living, where my in-laws were living. And we were there before we moved to Nashville uh, for a few months. And I really didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. And I didn't. Um, and I was also spending a lot of time kind of traveling between Nashville and, and Jackson. So, and when I found Twitter, it became this place where I could interact with great people who um, might be more progressive like me, uh, you know, people like yourself and, and Julian, you know, as, as two, two examples of, of folks, but of course, you know, the list goes on. Um, so I would turn to Twitter. That was my place where I, I was lonely in this town, but I could turn to Twitter and have these vibrant, great conversations uh, and it was exciting. And I think, you know, I'm just naturally nerdy in that way. And I know you are too, as far as like finding ways to communicate with one another, you know, talking about like the BBS days on the Commodore 64 and so That's forth. right. Um, and CB radios for me as a kid as well. Um, so just finding these ways. And I feel like these social networks now uh, have been hijacked in the sense that with, with algorithms and with advertisers paying for the, to re, and I'm not saying like Nissan or somebody, but I'm saying rather somebody more nefarious who's using advertising ads to target specific people and to pull them out so that mm -hmm. you then get these, these tribes of people in sort of an echo chamber. Um, and this seems to be happening, happening more and more. And I'm wondering whether you have any insights or thoughts on, 
how we can break through to to people in these sort of echo chambers. I mean, I, there's Parlor now, the bloody app, which is I I don't dare. Let me tell you quickly, I haven't uh, poked around with Parlor. I'm I'm obviously more liberal and so forth, and you know, I, 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 my understanding of Parlor doesn't sit well uh, with me. Um, and I also, I had, so I haven't created an account, but I wanted to, because I wanted to poke around and find out exactly what's going on how this app works and so forth. Um, and, and the side to that very quickly is I, um, when Bumble, you know, Bumble. Oh, sure. Sure. So when Bumble first came out, I thought it was a, an app. I knew it was a dating app, but I thought <laughs> it had to do with also with networking as well. Casual connections. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and so I created a Bumble account. That must've been interesting to talk about. Well, what happened? Almost instantly, or at least that's what it felt like. I got a message from a friend's ex-wife who said, I didn't know you're single, you know, would love to chat. And I'm like, like, no, 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 no. Like happily married, almost 20 years. Uh, Gotta go. Delete, delete, delete. And like deleted the app. And then right away, I was like, Heather, guess what happened? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Tail between the legs. Yeah. And this actually, she just brought it up the other day. And this is years ago now. Um, So I'm careful with like creating accounts on on apps and so forth. Sure. But but how do you think people, how do you think we can get through to people when they are so siloed and the information is, is so siloed. Do we need to, is my first immediate question, right? So parlor exists because the people who choose to use it couldn't stay within the code of conduct of the platforms that were getting, they were getting pushed off of. Right. So platforms like Twitter say, maybe don't say hateful things. Right. And these people said, uh, that's too restrictive. I want the opportunity to say hateful things. I don't want to talk to anybody over there. There's zero people using that platform that are people I want to conduct any kind of business with. I don't want to give them money. I don't want to help them make money. I don't want to do anything useful. Not because of a political party, but because a violation of code of conduct means that they were saying mean things to people I care about. Mm -hmm. Uh, My whole political uh, view of the world is that I really would like for people to all be treated equally, uh, mm-hmm. except for people who have in some way violated uh, some sacred trust. And then they they also have the chance to be treated equally after they've done what they need to do. Mm-hmm. That's not that hard. You know, I think, I think all the various uh, people of color need to be treated very well. It's, that hasn't happened. I think that, you know, all the various sexual preferences, uh, you know, within the ages of consent uh, are pretty important. And I think that, none of these things should negatively impact any of us. You know, we, we, we love people that we can legally love and we, uh, you know, love people no matter what their melanin count is. And I think that that's it. That's, that's, if, if you want uh, less of your money to go to government, that's awesome. If you want more of your money to go to government because you think it needs to be spread around by someone other than you. Okay. I'm open to it. Um, these parlor and all these kinds of platforms. I mean, if you would ask the question a different way and said, so what do we do now? I would say we retreat to smaller tribes. You know, I'm using mighty networks to run two different projects right now. I have two different mighty networks, which is basically kind of a spin your own social platform mm-hmm. made by Gina Bianchini who made Ning, um, which is the same sort of thing back in 09. Um, and the, 
other, I already said this once, my favorite email, my favorite social network in the world is email, because if you're on my list, then obviously you're, you're eagerly waiting information that I have to share with you, or you're unsubscribing, which is either one is fine. Um, I think that what we most need to do is make sure people, you know, people are really tired of trying to fit in. They want to go where they feel like they belong. So we just really have to keep kind of broadcasting what we think we, you know, how, or like, this is what we believe in. This is our thing. Come over here. If you think this, right. Uh, the Pope, which this is a really weird year where uh, the government seems weird and you're sitting around looking at what the Pope's saying and going, Oh, he makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. pretty rare in the last hundred years of Poping. Uh, <laughs> but he says things like, you know what, let's just let gay people be gay people. There's like, well, lots of bigger things we got to deal with, yes. you know? And he says, let's just let, you know, don't be such a weirdo. Like don't be mean to your kids. If there's, if they tell you they're gay, that's what he's saying. And I'm thinking that's the Pope. Like I gave up Catholicism for Lent. I'm a Buddhist, but it almost makes me want to get back on the team. Like that's a weird world. Right. So, that Dave, that's the thing. Like if you go, Oh man, I really feel something when you say that thing, that's who we should be going after. I don't want to convert anybody. Right. All I really want to do is I want to, I want to warm the spaces where people feel like I can do something to serve them. And I think it, and to that point, I think it gets back to what you said earlier about bravery and it was brave for the Pope to say that because you know, there's plenty of devout Catholics who would be like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Right. Um, but since the boss said it, all right, we'll go along with that. Right. So I think to your point, I think, I think it is a matter of bravery. It's a matter of, you know, I, I've been, you know, Obama's book came out recently mm -hmm. and we, when we were recording this and I've listened to a few of his interviews and a common thing that he has said in one way or another is how he sort of regrets not being a little more uh, forceful or, or a little more uh, clear, perhaps, or a little more brave in, in some of his opinions about things. He kind of Correct. toned it down a little bit too much, perhaps. And, and you know, a good politician would probably do that. Um, but, you know, even hearing that from him, uh, you know, who is just such a master communicator and such, you know, so good at that. Um, so it's been interesting. This has been such a great conversation. Now I have my lightning round very quickly. Oh, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Complete this sentence. Nice guys finish. Salmon. That's funny. We just had salmon last night. Was it good? It was good, but I... I, I Did you finish? Like, I ate Heather's and uh, Ella's and Sam does not eat any salmon. So, so I was right. Nice guy. I love that. What's a nice book you recommend to fellow nice makers listening? Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Uh, it was a sci-fi book that was written in the 80s and, and written by someone uh, from the LDS faith, which has its own challenges. Um, but if you just take it on the content of the book, there's uh, some really nice lessons in there about perspective and seeing things a different way. Love it. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Be helpful. And finally, how was Chris Brogan nice to himself? Oh, um, I So everybody has a built-in voice that we can't help called the inner critic. Dr. Matthew McKay wrote about it in the book, Self-Esteem. And the inner critic exists for actual function in our mental health, which is to say it tries to say mean things about you before anyone else can because it thinks it's helping. Uh, so I try every day to fire the inner critic and hire an inner coach. And then that doesn't really exist in us. So we have to make it up. It's almost like a, a out of body supplement. 
you have to say nice things. So I have a nice coach who tries to come in and go, man, you've got this today. Like, let's just, let's just pick it up. Let's shake off everything you weren't feeling so good about. And let's just, let's just start here and let's work on something small and use that momentum to get to the next piece. Love it. Chris, how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about you? The best way on this earth is chrisbrogan.com slash NL. Get my newsletter. If you like the newsletter, just hit reply to any issue of it and you'll get right to me. That's the easiest and nicest way to interact with me. Are we still doing monkey monkey? You know, funny you should say that. Uh, No, but every time (laughs) someone does that, I smile so big because it makes you one of the OGs. But yeah, I used to have a filter set up that it would just look for the word monkey. And if you put monkey in your reply to me, then I knew it was absolutely purely not some out of office assistant bouncing. It was you. Nice. That's awesome. I love it. And I do, yeah, I do encourage everybody to definitely subscribe to Chris's newsletter. It is fantastic. And yeah, I mean, and the thing with newsletters, folks, is that you can just subscribe. And if it's not for you, you can unsubscribe. No love loss. It's all good. Um, but I do encourage you to subscribe because it is a it is a great newsletter. And Chris is a nice guy that we all love. So Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Dave, forever my pleasure. Always good to have you in my uh, orbit and always grateful that I get the opportunity to communicate with the people you consider nice. Yay. Thanks, buddy. That was fun. That was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll definitely uh, have you back uh, in the future because I like, I, you know, I, I, I love you and I love talking to you and, and you're so insightful and, you know, you've been doing this thing for so long that, uh, that you've seen things evolve and devolve and change. And I don't know. I think you bring a lot of perspective. That's important. It's weird, isn't it? Like it's, it's just weird times. Like when you're saying all that, it's so funny because we're like, we're such peers. Like, you know, you're saying this and I'm like, well, do you, you do all those things? Nothing that you're saying that you don't do. So right. I'm just like, you don't need me for this, but it's in some ways. I mean, that's just what I was saying about the fact that we're all looking for confirmation bias, right? We're all looking for like someone to make us feel like, no, no, no. It's not just you. You're not crazy. You're, we're all seeing this thing right now. Yep. Um, oh my gosh. The insanity of this last year. Like it's mm-hmm. not just the, not the stupid COVID stuff. Like I'm, I'm so weirdly, all it makes me think is how much all humanity should end. You know what I mean? That's all I think, you know, <laughs> right. I watch, especially Nashville for fuck's sake, Nashville, Nashville is the Florida of, of Tennessee. Nashville is like, let's have crazy parties. Carrie's guitar instructor. Um, and I get it. Like he has gigs, like he has to go. So they reopen the bars and he goes and plays with the band. He gets COVID like that day, mm-hmm. that day, first day they reopen. He's like, I'm in. And I was like, well, what did you think was going to happen? It's crazy here because like our governor, so our governor, governor Lee uh, has a company called Lee company. And I used to actually be a customer. And Lee Company, you pay, you know, monthly, and then they come and service your, your, you know, they do electrical and plumbing and crap. Okay. Um, and he refused to do a mask mandate for the state, and and continues to refuse. He's right. just like the president saying, "Well, let the states figure it out," and and he's saying, "Let the mayors figure it out," just like Trump, kind of just not leading, right? Um, which is what his job is, what we pay him. You would to think, do. right? Right. And he just doesn't. So I called their company and I said, look, like, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, uh, cancel my, my service, cancel my, my contract with you guys. 
And they're like, why? And I said, because, <laughs> yeah, because my wife is a school teacher and now having to interact with children um, at work because your governor, because your boss, the owner of your company is not leading. Right. So goodbye. Um, I can't vote because I'm still Canadian. Um, yeah. And so I got that. But that's my exit strategy. That's a good exit strategy. My ex-wife's in the exact same boat. And she yeah. keeps saying, you know, if one of these days I call you from Nova Scotia or somewhere, you'll know why. I didn't know she was Canadian. Yeah, she was a, a Labrador person, oh, uh, nice. Newfoundlander. Really? Um, I had no idea of that. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, her whole family tree is Newfoundland. And then she was born and raised in Labrador because they all stole all the Newfoundlanders to make the iron ore mines. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Um so we were together just about a little over 10 years and yeah. uh, I have two somewhat Canadian blooded children because of it. So now in Newfoundland, have you been to Newfoundland? Oh yeah. I have my buy. It's the, oh, best. It's the it's, best place in the world. It's I, mini Ireland. I was, it is mini Ireland. It is exactly mini Ireland. And I, yeah. I absolutely love it. I took my kids to go see uh, come from away. Are you familiar? Okay. I do, yeah, have you yeah. seen it or no? Okay. It's, it's no. great. I mean, it's everything you expect it to be. And so we went to go see come from away and, and in Toronto and we get in a cab afterwards to get, to go home. And the cabbie's like, did you guys just go see the show? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, and he's got this thick accent and he tells us he's from, uh, I think it was Bosnia, I think, or somewhere. Oh, okay. Remember. But anyway, long story short, uh, he had, he was, uh, traveling, with a friend many years ago, his uh, things were getting bad in his country yeah. of origin. And so his parents sent him to Cuba. Oh my god! And gosh. so he flew to Cuba, but they had to stop to refuel in Gander. And so oh, they stopped to refuel yes. in Gander and they were stuck there overnight. And so he and his friend who spoke very little English were just blown away by how friendly everybody was. They're like, do you want to go to Cuba? I don't want to go to Cuba. So they stayed there. Oh and the gosh. whole community of Gander taught them how to speak English after like they brought them into their homes. It's everything from the show. And he's telling us this story. And I'm like, see kids. Like it's, it's, it's so true. <sighs> what they, I when I was, Oh, go on, go on. I'm sorry. I was just adding, I was like a yes. Anding it. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I was dating Katrina, uh, my ex-wife, um, I was, I had a job up there. I was doing something with Cantel okay. uh, with a wireless company. Yep. And so I was there on my own. She was uh, in Halifax at that moment. Um, and uh, I call her from a payphone because my cell phone wasn't even working. That was how old this story is. And uh, I said, I, am in love. This is incredible. Newfoundlanders are amazing. Mm -hmm. And I said, and I think everyone's into me. I said, the bartender absolutely wants me. I know she wants me. <laughs> and she goes, did she call you my duck? And I said, she did. Did she call you my love? I said, she did. Did she call you my darling? And I said, oh my gosh, do you know her? And she goes, that's every Newfoundlander. And she goes, <laughs> be ready. Cause someone's going to invite you to stay over at their house. And I was like, ha, 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 not a lie. 20 minutes later, some husband and wife couple, no dirty, like no hanky yeah, yeah, panky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, Oh, you're American. You know, you know, where do you stay? And I said, Oh, I'm at the, you know, I don't remember the name of the hotel, but it's like the fancy hotel in St. John's, which is sure. everything. It's a, it's a, no, it's like a, the story is so much better if you know the name, but like the, like their best attempt at fancy. Yeah. And they said, well, why would you pay for that? Bye. we got a perfectly good guest room. Why don't you come stay with us? And I'm like, there you I, go. She nailed you it. Know. And yeah. so 
uh, I, I've really never, ever gotten off a plane and thought, this is it. I'm not coming home. I wrote it. I, yeah, go on. I just, If I felt that there was business there for me, I would absolutely do it. Yeah, maybe we should all like re- like meet up or move to Newfoundland. Like I actually wrote it on Facebook a while, just a few weeks ago. I said, you know, kind of during the election, before the results or, or you know, what we believe to be the results. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. uh, God, give me a break. Um, but anyway, I, and I posted on Facebook. I'm like, that's it. Like we're moving, we're moving to Newfoundland. And all these people started chiming in like, oh my God, are you really moving? And I have friends in Newfoundland. They're like, you're That'd coming. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, well, I really want to. And Heather and I were talking about it, like seriously. Yeah. Like, she's a Canadian citizen. She got sworn in when we lived in Canada. Both kids are from Toronto or born in Toronto. Born in um, Toronto, yeah. And uh, but then I have friends that are Canadian. They're like, you do realize winter in Newfoundland? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, winter and uh, you know local jobs aren't as a plenty. No. Mm. Although yeah. teaching, you know, teaching is pretty much universal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I keep saying to my ex-wife is I keep saying, yeah, you go up there, you're basically damning our children to like really struggle uh, career-wise, even yes. though their quality of life is going to be amazing. Speaking of which, ex-wife is here. Uh, yeah, I'll let she, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs me to run a quick errand with her. And I'm yeah, like, go okay, do it. Cool. Go do it. But brother, so much fun. Thank you yeah, for Yeah, you too, me. man. Thanks for being on. Thanks for listening to The Nice Podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Baker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice. Oh,